Planescape Torment, the unofficial audio series. A narrative let's play adapted and produced by Revoke GM. Combining in-game audio with additional voice acting through dialogue and descriptions to improve your listening experience. Rediscover the amazing story of the 1999 cult classic isometric video game, Planescape Torment, like you've never heard before. Your mind races as you lie in the itchy cot at Arlo's flophouse. Flashes from your fight with the one-eared tiefling. The feeling of power as blood and water boiled around you. You will be a master sorcerer one day, he will. You have the knowing of it yet. Mebeth's words echo in your thoughts. You have no idea who you were, nor what you were capable of. Dakon's preaching philosophy of knowing oneself feels further than ever. And your hand draws to the stone he entrusted you, the unbroken circle of Xerthamon. This small round stone is made up of a series of interlocking circles that fold out from one another. The complexity of the plates and the intricacy of their links prove the text was constructed by a master artisan. You mirror the motions that Dakon made upon the circle, and the plates give way at your touch, the rings sliding into a new configuration. Upon the rings are a series of symbols. The script is like no writing you have ever seen. It is a series of interlocking geometries with circles predominating. You know the symbols, and despite their strangeness, you know you can read them. No that we are the first people. Once, all was chaos. The first people were thought drawn from chaos. When the first people came to know themselves, they were chaos no longer and became flesh. With their thoughts and knowing of matter, the people shaped the first world and dwelled there with their knowing to sustain them. Yet the flesh was new to the people, and with it, the people came not to know themselves. The flesh gave rise to new thoughts, greed and hates, pains and joys, jealousies and doubts. All of these fed on each other, and the minds of the people were divided. In their division, the people were punished. The emotions of the flesh were strong, the greed and hates, the pains and joys, the jealousies and doubts, all of these served as a guiding stone to enemies. In becoming flesh, the first people became enslaved to those who knew flesh only as tools for their will. No, these beasts were the Illithids. The Illithids were a race that had come not to know themselves. They had learned how to make other races not know themselves. They were the tentacled ones. They lived in flesh and saw flesh as tools for the will. Their blood was as water, and they shaped minds with their thoughts. 
when the Elithids came upon the people, the people were a people no more. The people became slaves. The Elithids took the people from the first world and brought them to the false worlds. As the people labored upon the false worlds, the Elithids taught them the way of flesh. Through them, the people came to know loss. They came to know suffering. They came to know death, both of the body and the mind. They came to know what it is to be the herd of another and have their flesh consumed. They came to know the horror of being made to feel joy in such things. The unbroken circle is the knowing of how the people lost themselves and how they came to know themselves again. You slide the plates closed and seal the circle. Close your eyes and drift into sleep. Upon waking, you find Dakon already risen. His blade, like a ribbon, twists around his shoulders as he sits in silent contemplation. Good morning, Dakon. Hail. Ah, uh, hail. I've read the unbroken circle of Zerthamon. I wish to speak to you more about the people. What did you come to know? I learned that your people were once slaves to the Elithids. It seems they committed many crimes against you. Dakon's forehead creases into a frown and then relaxes slightly as he sighs with what you think is relief. But beyond that, the circle spoke of suffering and strength. Strength lies in knowing oneself. I learned that once someone does not know themselves, they are lost. They... they become a tool for others. As you say these words, you notice Dakon's shoulders tighten and the tension returns to his face. You not only see the words of Zerthamon, you have come to know them. You have come to know the first circle of Zerthamon. Dakon takes up the circle and hooks his fingers around the edges. Again, there is a click and the plates of the circle slide into a new configuration. He reverses the motion, sealing the stone once again. No, the second circle of Zerthamon is open to you. Study it. Then I will hear your words. Very well. I will read it, then seek your counsel again. Last night, I felt the power of the weave. It was different to how I expected. Something beyond my control. The pain, the anger, fueled something that I didn't understand. The more you can know of yourself, the greater your power will become. In the meantime, there are dangers in using the art without understanding. Study the circle, know the way of the people, and temper your art with discipline. The rain from the previous night has scoured the streets, leaving pale cobbles channeled by thick gouts of mud caking along the gutters. On the corner, 
Outside the flop house, you see a tall, lithe woman in padded, weather-beaten travel gear. She's feeding a strange two-headed hound tethered by a leash. Upon noticing her, the bizarre creature whines and barks, its tail wagging. The elven woman squints at you. Morik? Is that you? Uh, perhaps. I thought you said you'd never return to Sigmund. If Amatel finds out you've returned, you're a dead man. In any case, uh, I still have that scroll you lent me. Here, just take it back and, and leave me before we sing together. She hastily presses a leather-bound cylinder into your chest. Uh, but... Please. I'm glad to see you're okay, but we can't be seen together again. Both maws of the slathering dog begin licking at your hands. <laughs> hey, hey, buddy. No! She yanks the leash and drags the hound away from you. <laughs> hey, chief, at least someone seems to like who you were. Even if it is just some mutt. Come on, let's go. W where are we going? I don't know. Make some friends. Perhaps even earn some coin. Navigating the twisted streets, you find Porphyron, the warrior monk who you agreed to help with his stolen necklace. He is still sat, grimly in the same spot in the street, paying no heed to passers-by. The web of lines on his face are staggered into a series of right angles. Uh, this one addresses you, Porphyron. Ah! As you speak, the angles in Porphyron's face relax into a series of curves. This one would ask... Do you have the neck rope of beads that was stolen? I think so. Is, is this it? This one sees what you hold. Those are the beads once missing. He takes them from you, and you notice his hands have the same tracery of lines upon them as his face. This one has a question. How did you get the beads from the three? I purchased them. Ah, this one would know. One who fights with coin carries a name in the Order of Eritage. Porphyron's face breaks into angles again. Those ones are called merchants. It is a path without discipline and without honor. If you were a true warrior, you would learn to use every weapon at your disposal. This one bestows apologies. This one meant no offense. The angles on Porphyron's face sharpen acutely, then slowly curve into ripples. This one bestows several welcome thanks for your service, yes? You're welcome, I think. I have a question for you, though. If you cannot enter combat, how did you get your warrior training? This one clarifies. The Eritage may train with one when there is no anger between them. I see. Could you train me? This one could instruct you, yes. But this one warns you. With knowledge of violence comes temptation to use it. <laughs> I, I sure hope so. This one will instruct. Though we are limited by time and situation. He rises to his feet and squares himself to you. He's a full foot shorter than you, but his stature seems greater somehow, grounded and confident. The lines on his face fold into triangles. <sighs> These things comprise the angles of our training. Focus, experience, proficiency. This one will speak of focus first. For teaching to take root, you must have focus. The path of the warrior cannot be walked with an unfocused mind. Understood. This one will speak of experience second. True knowledge of combat comes only with experience. And third, this one will speak of proficiency. Knowledge of the weapon comes in stages. The ignorant, when one does not know the weapon they use, 
The attack is clumsy. The effect, less than its potential. <laughs> that sounds like me when I awoke in the mortuary. Never mind. Please, go on. When one has learned a weapon, he is said to be proficient in its use. His attacks are no longer clumsy. They come swiftly and surely. Go on. Finally, the level of the specialist is this. When one goes beyond proficiency, the weapon is no longer tool, but extension of will. All right. So... What can you teach me of using the weapons? This one is trained in the hand, the blade, the stave, the hatchet, and the smiter. Of which would you know first? You hold up your hand, gripping the green steel knife from the mortuary. How about we start with this? Ah, one who would use the dagger. It strikes swiftly like a viper, like the slash of a claw or the piercing of a needle. This one will instruct you. First... Stand like so. He briefly guides you through a series of stances and maneuvers. Your arms and feet move as if by instinct, and within minutes, you have matched the monk's strikes, parrying his blows and countering with ease. Uh, this one compliments you. The knowledge comes to you swiftly. You take instruction well. Your skill surpasses that which this one can teach without proper space and equipment. If you want to walk this path to your full potential, I suggest you seek another for proper training. Thank you, I, I guess. Take care, Porphyron. This one thanks you. You have shown this one kindness where others have shown none. You find your way back to the square by the mortuary with relative ease. It's here where you met Ingress. You hope to find her again and tell her of Candrian and his willingness to help her home. The streets around the square are busy. Laden carts roll up to the mortuary gates, and a vanguard of brutish mercenaries preceding an armoured wagon drawn by haggard beasts disperse the hivers in their path, barking warnings as they rumble over the cobblestones. At the memorial stands a lone woman, cradling a bunch of shredded rags in her hands and staring emptily at the wall of the monument, at the name scribed there. Her face looks broken, she is heavily bruised and covered in scratches. They look like bite marks and fingernail cuts. She jumps as she notices your presence. Get you back! The woman's lips peel back, displaying a row of jet black fangs. What you want of saved tie? What's the matter? Are you hurt? What's the matter? The matter is those cuts, the chaos. Chaos men wrecked my cart, attacked me, and killed three of my sisters who tried to stop them. Not sisters anymore. Now there's nothing but names on this wall. Chaos men. Chaos men. A faction, they says. What they are is an adult bunch that runs wild through the hive and does whatever they please. We never did no harm to them. Then they lope in like dogs and tear apart anything within their reach. Who are these chaos men who attacked you? They're a hive again. A bunch of adult swords that call themselves the 
the starved dogs barking or some such balmy nonsense. I'm sorry about your sisters. Your apologies won't bring them back, scarred man. I, I understand. If you wish, I can see that the matter is rectified. Their actions were unjust. <laughs> unjust! <laughs> She spits at the floor. No amount of justice can repay their crimes. More than just my sister's names are carved here under their blades. I can't act upon the others. But for you, if three deaths they caused, then three deaths shall these starved dogs suffer. A trinket for your purse. If you pen three of those murdering swords in the dead book, Jig. I'll see to it. Where might they be found? Go out the Primer's Gate, downward from here. Then walk around the block until you come to the place by the painted door, where men run in circles, howling at the sick sky. There's the starved dogs. There. All right. I'll find them. Meets me here tomorrow for peak. If you don't return, I'll have your name scratched here on the wall. Scarred man. No need, Seftai. Tomorrow, then. I hope so. With that, she takes up the bundle of torn clothes and leaves the memorial. It doesn't take you long to find Ingress. She is huddled inside a cloak of dirty rags nestled at the base of one of the strange, unmarked monuments, her teeth chattering uncontrollably. She glances furtively about her as if expecting to be attacked at any moment. Ingress, I... You! I, I have good news. She squints at you. Yes. What is it you want of me now? You want me to leave? No! In Ingress, wait. I... I found someone who can take you back to your home plane. Ingress falls silent. You found someone? Ayudar? Someone to help Ingress? Yes. Someone who I believe can help you find the right portal. Quiero irme. I want to go. Want to leave this place. His name is Candrian. Trust him, all right? Ingress says nothing. Millie nods quietly, her teeth chattering inside her mouth. He should be here shortly. I can wait if you like. No. You've done enough for me. Thank you. All right. Be strong, Ingress. Thank you for listening to Planescape Torment, the unofficial audio series, a Revoker GM production. To support the show and those involved, please consider subscribing to our Patreon or donating via our Ko-fi page. Links to both are in the description.